Thanks so much for coming to Encounter. We're looking forward to hearing from Joe Wheatley today. And Joe has a lot um, to his resume, which we were discussing and I tried to memorize, but I'm basically going to look at my paper. He um, has been a geriatric care manager. He's also on the bioethics board at Cottage Hospital. He's been leading an Alzheimer's support group for the past 13 years, including caregivers and the person uh, who has Alzheimer's. And he's on the board at Friendship Center, and he's also been a long-term care ombudsman. Um, so that is the expertise and experience that Joe brings to the table. He's also a very compassionate person and really has a heart to answer your questions and to walk alongside you. So I'm going to pray to get us started, um, but I'm confident that Joe will take very good care of us. So please pray. God, thank you so much that we can come to you, that you hear our cries, you know um, what we're worried about, what we might be afraid of, what we don't know about. And we know that you comfort us and sustain us during those times. I ask that you would give Joe great peace and great confidence as he shares from the wealth of his expertise and knowledge. And as we get to learn more about this disease called dementia, and as we get to learn how you indeed hold us, um, even when we can't remember, you remember us. So we put our faith in you, God, and we trust you. Amen. Amen. Wow, what a turnout. <laughs> Pastor Nikki and I were talking, we didn't know if there was going to be five people or 50, so it's really, I'm really pleased to see you, see you all. Um, this is a very challenging, obviously very challenging topic, and I hope to, to help uh, provide you with some good tools and information about different types of dementia, what dementia is, but also what you can do, what the steps are once once uh, your loved one or some family member has been diagnosed with these diseases. So we're going to start off by, first of all, uh, on the table over here, there's a stack of purple folders. Um, I got those from the Alzheimer's Association to give to new members in their last years. So they don't know that I'm giving them to you. <laughs> but it's, it's first come, first serve on the purple pamphlets. And in the center is a stack of white paper that you might really be interested in. It's inside there, it it's identifies the seven different stages of Alzheimer's. So if you wonder if you have it or not, you can read this and, and, and look at the different <laughs> symptoms and so, you know, just. <laughs> just so do, you want us, do you want us to have those now or should we check them? Well, if you promise not to read them yeah, during my. <laughs> No. no, so we can wait till afterwards. I know I, I read stuff while people are talking. Yeah, got it. So these are the papers that if we don't have enough, we'll make a promise to make some more. So um, it, it's, it's, that's a very good form because it really does identify the different, uh, different stages of dementia and the characteristics and things to look for. Um, because I know many of us have the question of, you know, am I losing it or is this, you know, just normal, normal aging? Or, and what I'd like to do, uh, and then I have uh, several books that are out there. Um, those are mine, but please, I've used them all. And if you're interested in them, just write down the name and the, and the author. There's a, a couple from uh, local authors. So what I would like to do is uh, kind of a, the format is I'd like to go through <clears throat> kind of the presentation. If you need clarity, if I'm not, if something <clears throat> doesn't make sense to you when I say it, raise your hand and we'll, we'll um, answer the questions. But there will be a Q&A time at the end of the uh, uh, presentation. So um, if you have personal questions or something that <clears throat> may not benefit the whole group, I'd ask that you wait until the end, just because it's hard for me to keep on flow. So one of the things I would like to start with is how many of you have been affected by dementia? Family members, 
friends, relatives, I'm not at all surprised. The numbers are just phenomenal. And, and so it's not just the individual that's affected, it's, it touches everyone. And the Alzheimer's Association said in uh, 2019 that there were 5.8 million people in America affected with Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's is one form of dementia. It's not, well, well I'll get into that. But, um, and 5.6 million of those individuals were over 65. So you're looking at um, the elderly population generally. Again, this is, this is average numbers. Um, two thirds of those affected were women. And they're looking at statistics and looking at demographics, and they're thinking in 2025, it'll be 7.1 million people. So unless they get a cure or some way to stop this horrible disease, the numbers just keep climbing. So it's, um, so just by definition, just to help clarify, what is dementia? It's a serious impairment in cognitive ability in a previously unimpaired person. What that means in real life is short-term memory loss, oftentimes a loss of what we call executive function. Executive functions means your ability to organize and to process and to do simple day-to-day -day tasks that you've always been able to do. As dementia <clears throat> increases, your ability for those, those functions becomes more and more challenging. So, um, what we've also seen is that actually um, care partners will identify their loved ones having the uh, effects of dementia before the individual. And, and the main reason for that is if you're, if you're suffering from dementia, first of all, you're gonna be in denial. I mean, we all are. Who, who wants to admit that this is real? You know, this is this just unnatural. You're not gonna say, oh, I've got Alzheimer's. You're gonna say, oh, this is a normal aging process. I'm just, we were talking earlier, just, I'm just losing my keys more often than I did. Well, I've always lost my keys, so that, that doesn't count as dementia. But, but partners identify it more readily than those uh, individuals that have the disease. And the reason being is that the partners is observing the day-to-day -day activities and seeing how your memory is becoming affected and things become more apparent to them rather than the individual that's actually declining. Because it, it, until the fact comes where they really admit and acknowledge that dementia has taken hold, then they're not gonna accept it. And um, again, that's just a, a natural process. Um, we, we all live in the world of denial and, and with um, care partners and individuals with this disease, we, we put it off. So it's not uncommon that it goes misdiagnosed or undiagnosed for a very long time. <coughs> Typically only one in four individuals that have dementia have been diagnosed. So that's a substantial number of people that aren't diagnosed. So early stage um, is also called MCI, mild cognitive impairment. So if you actually go to the doctors, well, I'm gonna to get to that in a minute. You will be going to the doctor, by the way. Um, it's, they typically indicate it as MCI. That's the early stage of, of dementia, mild cognitive impairment. What that means is they, they've identified that there is a cognition issue, but they haven't identified what type of dementia it is. So many, many times you'll hear individuals have MCI and you say, what the heck is that? Well, it's, it's usually early stage Alzheimer's. So one of my um, soapbox issues is once you 
or your partner have identified that there are some cognition issues, go to a doctor. Most of us don't. Most of us only go to a doctor if we have the flu or something that's major. But if you've got um, early stage dementia, it may be something else. And it's so important to go to a physician or to a neurologist early on because it may not be dementia. It may not be Alzheimer's. You know, a lot of seniors <clears throat> will have what's called po polypharmacy, which means they're taking multiple medications, oftentimes by several different doctors. We, we have a good friend that goes to one doctor after another. There's a cardiologist, and there's a rheumatologist, and there's an internist. And, and they're all prescribing different medications. Before you know it, she had 18 pills she was taking. Well, they, a lot of times they will counteract each other or they will create symptoms that are very similar to Alzheimer's or dementia. There'll be confusion and, and cognition issues or depression or some other, some other byproduct of, of medications. It may be late stage or uh, late in life uh, depression. It could also be the results of a stroke. And with, with women, a lot of times it can be a UTI, a urinary tract infection. We have seen women with, with uh, urinary tract infections that are almost the early stage, I mean, the, the characteristics are identical to early stage dementia. I mean, there's, they're depressed, they're confused, um, their appetite's gone, and it's, the point is that it's treatable. We're looking for things now that can be you know, addressed by physicians and by doctors and, and the medical uh, that can be treated. Um, it, may, it may be a hormone imbalance. It may be uh, stress or some other uh, sleep deprivation. All of these are different uh, medical issues that could uh, um, appear to be uh, early stage dementia. So, so that's why I'm saying from my soapbox, go to a doctor. You need to go and make sure that the diagnosis is correct. That you're not jumping off, heading out down the road of dementia when it's actually something that's medically treatable. So you want to put that away as soon as possible. So I strongly encourage you know, a physician or a neurologist or both. And before you go, to the doctor, one of the things that your partner should be doing, the, the person that's not affected, is making a list, as thorough as possible of list of the characteristics that you're seeing that are different. Why is it you think your loved one has dementia? Identifying as, as clearly as possible so you can say what they were like before and what they're like now. And the more thorough the list is, the easier it's going to be for the physician uh, to be able to identify. Because uh, as you know, we go to the doctors, we're, we're there for 10 minutes, 15 if you're lucky, and then you're out the door. They are not going to know that you have dementia. And early stage dementia, people are highly functioning. They can, you don't even see that there's any issue with dementia unless you're living with them and see the daily changes. So the doctor's not going to know. They're not going to look for it, for one thing. They're going to treat whatever illness you go in there for. But it's not going to be them helping you <clears throat> solve and discover whether they have dementia unless you bring it up. And, and I hope one of the things that would be good would be to establish a pretty good relationship with your doctor <coughs> and actually have a conversation with them before you go in. Say, so I'm, bringing, I'm bringing Fred in. And this is why I'm bringing them in. But you don't have to tell them. Just say, well, this is an annual checkup. Because sometimes trying to get people with dementia to the physicians is a challenge. First of all, they don't want to go. They're fine. Leave me alone. <laughs> and, and especially if they're beginning to feel a little bit of the dementia, they're not going to want to address it. And they don't want a doctor diagnosing it. So it becomes a little bit challenging right in the beginning. But the more information the doctor has, um, 
the better they will be able to do to help with the diagnosis. They may even do that little mini mental. I don't know if you've heard about that. It's a, it's a pretty simple test, but it can help establish a baseline. So one of the confusions that I, I hear a lot is, well, they have Alzheimer's. How is that different than dementia? So I guess the, the easiest way to explain it is, is dementia is an umbrella. And under the umbrella of dementia are different types of dementia. One of those is Alzheimer's. Another would be Lewy body's dementia. Another would be vascular dementia. Uh, another would be um, frontal temporal dementia. Those are the different, some of the different types of dementia that are under that major umbrella. So somebody will say, well, they have dementia, but you know, do, they, do they have Alzheimer's? I don't know. It needs to be diagnosed because, because the effects of the disease are different. The different types of dementia are going to be treated differently, and they have different um, effects as the diseases progress. Alzheimer's is by far the, um, it's about 70% of dementia that's been diagnosed as Alzheimer's. So that's why you'll hear that probably in conjunction most of the time with, with dementia. So it's obviously the most prevalent. And looking at the numbers I gave you, it's going to be you know, even more prevalent as we, as we continue on. So for Alzheimer's, a typical lifespan is from four to eight years after diagnosis, four to eight years. And, and some people will say, but Alzheimer's isn't life-ending. It's not terminal. It is. It is in the fact that it affects organs in the body. Even though it's not your brain that's taking your life, it will be an organ or some other function within your system that doesn't respond anymore, that begins to shut down as a result of the Alzheimer's. So even though they say it's not Alzheimer's, the results um, are terminal. Yes? Joe, is Alzheimer's always progressive? So did everybody hear the question? Yes. Is Alzheimer's always progressive? Yes. Every one of the, every one of the uh, types of dementia that I listed are all progressive. And none of them are curable at this point. So, I mean, that's, that's the bad news. Now, what is different is the rate of progression and the effects on the individual. Um, it's important to know, uh, a good friend of mine said, um, you've seen one Alzheimer's patient, you've seen one Alzheimer's patient. Yeah. They're all different. They're all unique. And it's got to do with our brains, our history, our experience, our our education. I mean, in, in my group, I've, I've had PhDs and, and um, very successful business people and, and I mean, highly functioning, highly uh, uh, educated individuals. And then I've seen um, uh, people, blue collar workers. So it doesn't, doesn't matter who it hits, by the way, but it's always progressive. But I've also just, again, so I'm going to be sharing some of it from personal experience because of the support group. I've, like like um, Nikki said, I've been leading support groups for 13 years. And, and during that time frame, I've seen a lot of different couples come and go. And um, the rate of progression varies with every couple, I mean, with every individual. Um, I had a couple where they came in right after I started my first group. And the individual with, with the disease just had some confusion and was beginning to not be able to do like writing checks and other relatively simple things, beginning to get more and more confused. And so there was an obvious decline. And she kind of plateaued for years, actually years, with just small variations, you know, just a slight decline. But then after seven years, then there was an avalanche. 
in the last year and a half, she, she rapidly went down. But I've also had people with, um, with Lewy bodies, which usually happens a little bit younger, not always, um, but it's much more progressive and much, rapid, much more rapid decline. And so that's why I said they, they, they say uh, uh, four, to, four to eight years, but it could be 20. So um, that makes it very hard to, to plan your life and, um, and your future. But, um, uh, but they are all progressive. And um, with Alzheimer's, I know, uh, since I've been involved with that, there's like three basic medications, uh, Namenda, Aricep, uh, and Exelon. Um, <coughs> And, and they don't reverse the progression of the disease, but they'll stop the progression in some cases. In some cases, it, it really will reduce. And, and what's hard to tell is um, if they're not taking it, can you actually see the difference? Um, and, and what I've heard is, yes, you can. That if, if someone is taking, sometimes there's some really strong side effects with the medications. There's some GI stuff that goes on, or there's some allergies, or so they may not be able to uh, take the medications uh, for any extended period. But people that do take the medications, I was talking with my partner, um, she and I lead a group uh, right now out at the Friendship Center. And she used to be an uh, administrator at Villa Alamar. And she said, um, she actually, we were actually talking about this particular issue. Uh, she has a client now that said um, the doctor pulled him off of Aricep because he was having some, you know, because the family wanted him to. And, and within weeks, I mean, major change in the behavioral interactions. Became more aggressive and more agitated. And she said, put him back on. So, so you really don't know, and um, and that's why once you know once it's diagnosed, um, working closely with physicians is also really important because <clears throat> although some of the drugs take some time to actually become effective, you need to wait and and watch it. And if there's really no change, if there's serious interactions with other drugs, then you may withdraw it. But usually, it's better to keep them on the medications. But they affect each person differently. Again, we're all different. We all have different makeups. And um, how the drug affects them is, is an individual case-by-case -case thing. Yes. Yeah. You're familiar with that study on the autopsies of the nuns' brains? Hmm. A bunch of older nuns had entered the convent. They were like in senior care. But they were active still. They were in their 80s and 90s, and they got them to sign a waiver, it says, or a permission to do autopsies when they died. For Alzheimer's studies, they said, okay, you can autopsy our brains. And they found that their brains had had deterioration similar to Alzheimer's, very similar, but that their lives were not affected by it because they'd been so interactive all the time, and they'd had this pattern. <laughs> Just curious about that, the plasticity of the brain and brain health. And, and there's some there's some lots and lots and lots of studies on what works and what doesn't work, and and you know just like us, um, diet <laughs> and physical activity, socialization, which are all important for us, they're really as important for the person with dementia, because as as the brain functions begin to decline. Right now, it's an amazing time with technology. There are so many activities on the computer that are brain exercises that were never even there years ago, never even thought of them. So they actually are geared for people with dementia, various stages of dementia, where they can um, you know, log on and actually interact. And it's brain exercise. And they also, a lot of times, they've talked about you know, keep the brain, like they say, do crossword puzzles. Well, if you've always done crossword puzzles, you're not exercising your brain. 
if you've never done one, or if you've always done crossword puzzles, learn a foreign language. You know, that's using parts of your brain that you haven't used before. So you're exercising your brain in different I ways. I had a stroke, so the left side of my body is still kind of numb, and the big thing they talk about is proprioception, because that really forces your neural pathways to reform a lot, and so spatial movement in your arms and legs, which means some like the activity, Activities. like dancing, and Square and, and, and the other the other thing is, um, as, as Nikki mentioned, I'm at the, on the board of the Friendship Center, and it's an adult daycare center with people for people with dementia, and, and others. Um, the socialization is so important, and and what happens is, um, well, I'm digressing a little, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> is, is, when you're a caregiver and a individual with dementia, the caregiver is spending their whole life taking care of you, making medical appointments, and just oftentimes taking care of medications. And as the disease progresses, it becomes more and more challenging for the caregiver. Well, they can't do socialization at the same time. You know, they're consumed with you know, activities of daily living. So something like Friendship Center or some place where the individual can be stimulated by other people has been proven to be really a major improvement in their health and in their cognition. So, so, um, so what happens now? You've got, you've got a diagnosis, and it's certainly not a pleasant one. Um, as a family or as a caregiver, what do, you, what do you do? First of all, you have to accept it. And that's, that's not easy. But you really do have to accept that your life is going to change. As one of the guys in my group the other day said, this isn't what we signed up for. You know, and, and God, they just, you know, they had plans of travel and they had, and, and now they can't. Their whole lives have changed. So you have to accept that there's going to be a major change in your life. So one of the things I strongly suggest is that you learn as much as you can about dementia. There's so much information, and there's some really good books to learn about different um, progressive stages of the disease, what the disease does, what type of disease they have. A lot of that information is available, and it's available online as well. I'm encouraging you to learn more about it because then you'll have at least an idea of what your future is going to be like. And the other thing, and this is something I think a lot of people forget, is in the early stage, your partner is still has some pretty good memories. That's the time for you to learn about them as well. Ask them, have you ever sat down with your spouse and said, what do you want to do in 10 years? You know, what, what's your bucket list? Some people have, but a lot of people haven't. So know your partner's bucket list. And instead of planning a trip to Europe in 2030, maybe we better do it in 2021. You readjust your priorities. And, and you can still have very active and exciting memories that you're creating. Because later on, the travel becomes incredibly challenging for people with dementia. If, if you can imagine that day-to-day that -day living is, is tough because their world is collapsing around them, take them to an airport. Oh my god. I, you, know, you know how hard it is at my age. It's just so stressful and it's so confusing and it's loud and noisy and, and um, you have to be flexible and change. Well, that kind of confusion and activities is really, really tough for people with advanced dementia. It can be really stressful and to the point where you know, they can really act out in a way that's going to be very difficult for everyone. So what I'm saying is by learning more about your partner now allows you to rearrange your future in a way that you know, the very positive parts of the relationship can continue as long as possible. And you want those good memories. And, and people with dementia, what, what is so, one of the infuriating things, but yet amazing part of dementia, is all of a sudden they're lucid. 
This is the person who's just asked you 12 times in a row where their glasses are. And all of a sudden they're talking about their history together. They're talking about your family. Like everything's back in tune. Wow. And what it does, for me, what it does is it lets you know that they're still there. The person is still there. But you've lost them most of the time to dementia. But every once in a while, a real person pops out. Well, you want to be there for that. I mean, you want to, you want to enjoy that. That's one of the memories you want to keep because they get more and more challenging. So you don't, um, you don't want to ignore that. And sometimes there's some real humor. You got to change your definition of humor a little bit so you know, uh, because uh, uh, as people have dementia. Um, Oftentimes the filter is going to disappear. because that's the safest way of putting it. Um, things that were inappropriate so long, they're not anymore to the individual, but they may be to you. So there may be some embarrassing situations when you're in restaurants, or, or they may have some inappropriate joke, and you, oh, that's funny, and move on. Um, Another thing, so you, you've learned about the disease or you're learning about the different parts of the disease. You're learning learn more and more about your loved one so you can readjust your priorities. And another really, really critical part of this is you need to get your finances in order. I hate to be so realistic, but that's something that's just absolutely critical. If you haven't done a will or a trust or a power of attorney for health, or a power of attorney for finances, you need to get it done. Because as we were saying, we don't know the rate of progression. And if the individual loses the legal capacity to sign a document, whatever's in place is still there. That's it. So if you haven't updated it for 15 years or whatever, um, you may have to live with that. So that's really important because if they can no longer be a partner with you and make those legal documents change to adapt to your future, you're, you're absolutely stuck with what you've got. And, and one of those that I think is so important that people often overlook is the Advanced Healthcare Directive. Most of us, not every one of us, but most of us choose our partners as our healthcare agent. So what that means is if you're in, unable to make a decision, if you're in a hospital or emergency situation, your agent is going to make that decision for you. Well, if your partner is your agent and they have dementia and they no longer have the capacity to make you know, a rational decision, that is not the person you want to be your agent. So just be aware of that. If the two of you have signed these documents, you may want to look, if, if your partner has been diagnosed with dementia, you may want to look at having another agent, someone who will be able to make a decision for you. But most of us overlook that, because once you've done that document, you go, good, I don't ever have to do that again. But, but be aware that if it's your partner, and they lose capacity, then you don't have an agent anymore. And so that's just kind of a heads up. But the financial stuff is really important too. Because not only do you, if you need your partner's um, um, cooperation with the legal documents, you, you need to do that early rather than later. Because if they can't sign, then, then you're stuck. And you don't want to be stuck because then you could be at, at the mercy of the courts or the medical system or someone other than you. Um, so that's, that's an important thing to look at. Another would be looking at your, your, your environment, where you live. Most of these diseases, early stage isn't, isn't necessarily a problem, but later on, um, some people with Parkinson's have some dementia, and some people with dementia have Parkinsonian effects. In other words, they may lose balance. They may have um, 
They have, may have gait issues, you know, walking issues. And, and so you need to look at where you live, what your house is like, is it safe? Um, another relatively common problem with dementia is, is wandering. I don't know if you've ever heard that, where people, well, every once in a while you go to Billiton and the paper that says, so-and-so with dementia has been lost, you know. They're, they're lost. I mean, they, they literally walk out the door and go the wrong way and don't have a clue where they are. So um, you may have to retain, re, um, readjust your locks at home. You may have to put a lock that's complicated, something that they wouldn't be able to figure out if they need to get out. Because if, if they get out, they're gone, then what are you going to do? I mean, one of the, again, one of the advantages of technology is, is um, phones and watches and necklaces and a lot of other new advanced technology have GPS in them. So your partner can be wandering off somewhere and you can get on your computer and say, ah, oh, there he goes. I had a, one of my clients, um, the, the husband loved to bike ride. And, well, first he loved to drive, so she dismantled his car so he couldn't drive anymore because he really should not have been driving. And she said, well, we're getting it repaired. And he took that as, okay, I mean, he didn't, he didn't challenge it. But he got on his bike and he took off. He would ride for miles. And so um, she was still working. So she would have to get on her computer and say, okay, where's my husband now? And literally, because he had a watch that had a GPS, she could track him. I mean, you don't want to totally confine somebody that has dementia. I mean, you still want to give them as much freedom and independence as possible, but to the point of safety, then it becomes a challenge. Like when I've asked the question of, um, when do you know people are going to wonder? When it does. I mean, you don't know until then. You know, they're... They may not wander at all, or they may walk out the door one day and be totally lost. And so it just happens. Again, it's part of the, could be part of the progression of the disease. So you want to look at your home, and you want to make sure that it's safe for locks. And, and later on, if there's physical impairment, you want to have, look at grab bars. And don't be, um, one of the issues, I mean, don't be surprised to find your loaves of bread you know, in the cupboard, or uh, you know, your plates in the dishwasher, in the uh, oven. I mean, people put them, go put the plates away. You, you're going to have to go looking for them later because they have no idea where they put them. They don't remember. It just makes, makes your life a little more exciting. It's not quite so dull. Uh, and they can't tell you, where did you put the plate? Well, I don't know, because they don't. Um, but um, stoves can become a problem. So if, you're, if your partner is used to cooking and you still want them to cook for a point, um, when, when is it not safe? When, when they turn the burner on and walk away and totally forgotten that, that they've got something on the stove, then, then you're talking health and safety issues. So, you know, as, as the disease progresses, it gets more and more challenging for the caregivers. So, I labeled this life together. Um, what happens now? Um, as, as you begin to deal with this, um, whatever type of dementia it is, um, the individual that's providing the care, their lives are radically changed. Um, most marriages, a relationship that I know of, are partnerships. You've kind of established who does what at home. You know, the husband pays the bills, the wife takes out the trash, that's the way I do it. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, or something close to that. Um, the, the point is, you, just day-to-day -day living, you kind of establish a pattern of living. To, I mean, we're all so busy, you've got so many things going on, that, no one person can do everything, but that role begins to change. And um, one of the ways that I've seen oftentimes is, is the checkbook is one of the first 
first items that becomes one of the clues that your partner's not functioning too well anymore if you haven't noticed it. Um, so many of the seniors that I've worked with for years, I consider senior anybody older than me, <laughs> so many of the seniors I've worked with, um, the wife has never done the checks. Husband has always taken care of all of the bills. And then all of a sudden, they're getting late notices, or they're getting notices that said, well, you paid this twice, or you know, the checkbook's getting all screwed up, and, and the ledger doesn't make sense anymore, and doesn't track. And that's when you begin to understand, oh, this is something I'm going to have to do. All of a sudden, they have to take over the checkbook. And that's a new responsibility. I just use that as an example of what caregivers' lives become. They become the 100% of the relationship. I mean, the things you always used to do together fall on the caregiver. That's why in my support groups, I, the, the, every caregiver I've met is an angel. I just watched them go through this process and um, their lives change so much and become so challenging. Not only are they taking care of their loved one, later on they're doing all of their medications. And sometimes the medication, they don't want to take them. So, uh, you know, day-to-day -day stuff, um, the caregiver has to take on more and more of those responsibilities. And what I learned in the, in the um, one of the, the uh, one of the tips that I got from one of the um, partners was, my my wife has always gone out and, and got the mail. Well, she started bringing losing the mail, losing the bills. You know, so what do I do? You know, I want her to still be independent. So she would get up early and go out and pull all of the bills out of the mail, and then still let her partner go out and get the mail later. But it was just junk. You know, it still allowed them a little bit of independence. They felt like they were doing something, but it wasn't screwing up their law, their their um, checkbook. You know, so you learn these little tricks to try to gain as much, allow them to be as independent as possible. But it becomes you know, your responsibility to do that. The caregivers have all of this on them. So the other thing is that while they're doing this, then their partners are changing in front of them. Right in front of them, there's a term, it's called ambiguous loss. Ambiguous loss is basically one of the definitions of Alzheimer's is the long goodbye. So ambiguous loss is you have a partner in front of you, you've lived with your whole life. They sound the same, they look the same, but they're not, they're not the same. And as you're providing health and care and day-to-day -day activity living with them, your partner is slowly fading away. And you, you probably won't even notice or understand that you're going through grief. It's grief, but it's a long grief. It's not like a sudden grief where you've lost somebody to an illness or, or some other um, end-of-life event. This is a long end-of-life event. And so you're going through grief, this ambiguous loss, while you're taking care of your partners. It's, it's overwhelming. And the, um, the different moods and the different um, physiolog physiological and mental changes that your partner go through, um, you have to deal with. Um, paranoia is very common on early stage dementia. They will put their keys somewhere, or like we were talking about earlier, keys or glasses or whatever, and then argue with you and say, why did you hide my keys? What did you do with my keys? I had, I had one couple, the guy had been building um, model airplanes and rebuilt his car. He did old cars and out in his garage, so he, he had tons of tools and uh, an immaculate garage, well, immaculate with a bunch of stuff, but. Um, for guys, it was immaculate. Um, um, and he would go out and he would look for a tool and it wouldn't be there. He called the police and said his neighbor was stealing his tools. So um, 
became a bit of a challenge. You know, first of all, the neighbor was getting really upset, being accused of <laughs> stealing all the time. The wife was trying to deal with law enforcement to say, no, he has dementia. But he knew enough to be able to grab the phone and dial the police, unfortunately. Fortunately, later on, he couldn't dial anymore, so that, that particular issue went away. But paranoia is very much a part of this disease. And, and you can imagine that because um, all of a sudden, the things around you that you've always done, you can't do anymore. And one, one, of, my, one of my ladies said that her husband kept complaining about losing his glasses, so she went to Costco and bought six pair of readers and just put them all over the house. So no matter what room he went into, there was a pair of glasses. So you look for ways for, you know, to survive, to kind of minimize some of the, the, the trauma. But um, the person with dementia has also going through, is going to be going through different, different moods and different um, relationship changes. And the, and the partner is the one that has to be with them and deal with this. Because they will, um, one, one of the characteristics that I've, I've heard many times in my groups were when it's a couple, at, at some point in this phase of dementia, the, um, the individual becomes really dependent upon their partner. And sometimes it's very loving and very sweet to a point. And then it comes, they don't want you to leave the room. You can't. Uh, you, so they have no, even they go to the bathroom, they're pounding on the door. You know, if they want to go to the store, well, um, anything they want to do, their partner wants to be with them. And, and fortunately, that doesn't last real long, usually. But um, that's one, you know, one stage of, of this uh, decline in dementia. And, and of course, the individual, again, the individual with dementia has the, the anger and the frustration and fear mm -hmm. in the beginning. But what typically happens, what is really typical is as their world shrinks, which it does, because they're less and less able to cope or to listen or to even understand what's going on around them, the world gets narrower and narrower. And, and as it does, their life becomes very simple. And so, so a lot of things that used to really irritate people, they don't even know anymore. There's a phase of dementia when, when you know you have dementia and it's very frustrating and, and anger. And then there's a point where you don't know. So you know you don't know. I mean, and, and so when they get to the point they don't know about that they have dementia, and their world is very simple, life can become easier for them because it's not as confusing, you know, it's not as challenging, and so, um, but it's more, much more narrow. And again, your, the care partners are the ones that are, that are going through all this. And some of the diseases, we were, we were talking earlier about, about, um, about Lewy bodies and, and um, my, my cousin's husband passed away from Lewy bodies. He was diagnosed at age 50, but there had been some serious symptoms before the diagnosis. He had always been able to build anything, just, I mean, he could create anything. He did everything around the house, you know, new tiles and fences and doors and fireplaces, everything. And um, got to the point at his work he couldn't understand a new computer system that came in. And they thought it was maybe just the complexity of the computer system. Never thinking that at you know, 52 years old, there could be some, you know, some dementia setting in. So they finally did diagnose it, and they found out uh, that it was Lewy-Bodies. He passed away four years later. So it was really fast. But within those four years, um, it, was, it was horrendous. And, and Lewy bodies is a more of a mood um, type of dementia, where, where they, they will fluctuate within a day, they could change four or five different times to be a different person. Um, again, I had a couple that you know, he would be loving and caring in the morning, and, and by noon he was angry and agitated. 
and then there would be some other mood. And through, throughout a day, the moods could swing that much. So the caregivers are dealing with, with all of this, as well as the, the, the physical uh, ailments that come along with it. So what I, some of the, some of the tools that, that we encourage you to learn in dealing with people with dementia, uh, there's a term we use, it's called DARE. Don't argue, reason, or explain. Don't argue, reason, or explain. Because, oh my gosh, uh, <laughs> I keep rattling on here. Um, because they don't remember. That's all I can say. So why would you argue with somebody when you're going to be ticked off for the next hour and a half and, and they won't even remember? So don't fight with them. And don't reason because they don't understand. They may understand it for that second. Two minutes later, it's gone. So there are some certain tools. So I'm going to just jump to the I have no idea. So late. Um, a key element of this that I keep talking about caregivers is you need to take care of yourself. As caregivers, it's just absolutely vital that you take care of yourself. And I like to use the analogy that when you're in an airplane, they always say if the oxygen mask dropped down and you're with a child, that you take your oxygen first and then to the child. It's the same thing. If you don't take care of yourself, there won't be anybody there to take care of your partner. So you need to, I think of support groups, but I also think you need to have outlets, whether it's church groups, or choir, or, or uh, uh, dinner with the girls, or movies, or bike rides, or walks in the park, or on the beach, you need to take that respite. You absolutely have to have it. So what can we do? I'm just going to jump to the end. What can we do as a church, and as friends, and loving family, and all that? We can be there. We can be there. That's something that's very, very important. Because isolation is a very big part of dementia. People don't like being around people that have dementia, and those with dementia don't want to be around other people because it's so challenging for them. It's hard for them to be social, and, and as soon as they realize they can't communicate the way they used to, they don't want to be around anybody. So they get isolated, and family members become isolated. So what we can do, call them and say, I'll take, you for, I'll take your husband for a bike ride, you know, or we'll go to the beach. Give them the rest of that, that I was just talking about and be there to be supportive. So, and as God's group, we can also pray. So, thank you. So, yeah. Yeah, 30 or 40 Q seconds. No difficult questions. Yes? Um, I'm having trouble getting the primary physician to diagnose my mother. And I should I just go to another physician? Or yes. To yes. get out of his yes. life? Yes. There, there and, and the reason I say that, there are, there are physicians, first of all, that may not be real knowledgeable about, about different diagnoses with dementia. And some of them just don't want to give you the bad news. That's like the same doctors that after they diagnose somebody, they're legally required to notify the DMV, and they don't because they don't want to be responsible for taking their driver's license away, even though they really shouldn't be driving. So I would strongly suggest you find another physician. Because I finally got them to do an MRI, and they said, oh, there's something wrong with your ear, nose, and throat, or something. They found that on the MRI, and I'm just like, what? The middle one, yeah. Yeah. Could that cause I'm not. I'm not a physician. I can't. I really can't give medical advice, other than to get another doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, so it There is a neurologist problem only because they specialize. There's some neurologists that work on your back and your legs. You, you need to find a neurologist that works, and, and there are several in town 
that understand dementia and will identify that. So there really are neurologists that work with dementia. So you can't just say neurologists. And same with primary care physicians. There's some that are really tuned in to um, dementia and others don't have a clue. They just don't have a clue. So yeah, so yes. Um. My mom went through all of the progressions that you speak of. I mean, she was actually diagnosed with Alzheimer's 12 years ago. She died this year. And she had a patch. We weren't sure for a long time how much of it she was keeping on. Yeah. yeah. But then she got regular care and got it. So she stabilized. And the, the key for her was socializing, being outside because she loved to be outside, and music. And, and I heard that music is, but you know, if it, whether it's animals, she loved being with dogs, so we'd just bring her around. You know, the things that she loved, we just fed her with. And she was, it was delightful. It was an opportunity. Yes. And, and I've been blown away, absolutely blown away with people uh, that have dementia and don't communicate at all. And they'll sit down on the piano and remember songs that they had 20 years ago. And, I'll, and, just, and just play. It's that music connection that is amazing. And same with pets, unless they never like pets, then right. you don't want to bring them around. But, um, <laughs> don't if they hate dogs, don't bring them yeah. but, No, but pet therapy is proven. But socialization, it's like I was saying, if, if the caregiver is spending all their time taking care of the individual, then, then they can't really do the stimulation. They'll park them in front of the TV until the TV gets confusing, or they'll get them to read for a while and then they can't read. So there's all these different things that, you know, you really have to spend time with other people to get that kind of stimulation. So. Mm -hmm. Any others? Yes. So I, I've seen a lot of people that go through, like, photo books from past times with people that have dementia, is that a good thing to do or can it frustrate them because they can't remember their own memories? It's absolutely a good thing to do, it's a good question. What it does is it makes that connection with the past that they couldn't, they may not remember the names, they may not remember the dates, but they'll remember the face, they'll remember the person, and it will be a strong positive memory for them, you know, unless it was in the middle of a hurricane or something, but um, no, it's, photo books are really, really good a good thing to do, and and uh, it connects them with the past that they can't do on their own. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Do you want to talk about people's inability to learn new things? Uh, that's a lot of times with dementia, they really can't learn something new, and it seems strange to us, but it's really an important thing if you're caring for someone not to know to know that they really cannot learn new. And, and that's why part of that um, don't. Good question, Mrs. Wheatley. Um, <laughs> He's um, and, and that's why they say don't reason or don't argue because they can't learn. But but one of the, a really good example is if someone with dementia has an accident and they maybe they break a hip or a knee or whatever and they go to the, the hospital, and they want them to learn how to use a walker. They can't learn how to use a walker. So to be able to participate in their own improvement, they can't, because they physically and mentally cannot remember from day to day or hour to hour how to use a walker. So new information, especially in the later stage, just is, is done. So you can't reason with them. You can't tell them what's going on because they don't remember. They may remember it for that second and say, okay, but then it's gone. Okay. So let's give a hand to the Do you have to pray to close? And then also, there's something that I've read that we as a church can be a community of remembering friends. Um, and if we ourselves forget, God will not forget who we are. Um, and if um, our friends forget who they are, we can remind them who they are. And so, with God's help, through God, the power of God's Spirit, we can be a community of remembering friends. And I just love that picture. So please close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to share this very challenging and 
difficult information with loved ones, but with your help and guidance, um, we can all make a positive impact in other people's lives as they go through these diseases. Thank you once again for your many blessings in your son's holy name. Amen.